Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Barbara Kingsolver. Barbara is the author of numerous acclaimed and award-winning works of fiction, poetry, and creative nonfiction. Unsheltered, her first new book in several years, alternates between 19th century and 21st century Vineland, New Jersey. In the wake of new discoveries from Charles Darwin, science teacher Thatcher Greenwood finds himself conflicted between the need to speak the truth and a community that would rather take comfort in tradition. In the present day, Willa Knox finds her well-laid plans for a comfortable life upended by a series of unfortunate twists. We spoke with Barbara about some of the key themes of the book, her inspiration for writing it, and what readers can expect to take away from it. So joining us on the phone right now, we have Barbara Kingsolver, who's the author of Unsheltered. And Barbara, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure. Uh, so to start us off, um, could you talk a little bit about um, your inspiration for the novel and what prompted you to write it? Um, what prompted me to write it was the times we were in, um, which we are still in four years later. It took me about four years from beginning to end to um, think about a structure for the novel and research it and write it. And um, I just really wanted to write about these moments in history when it seems like the rules don't apply anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the rules of uh, political leadership, uh, civil, you know, generous patriotism, generous patriotism, um, basic kinds of shelter like um, the the pension at the end of of the career or the the healthcare policy or the um, you know the the job at the end of the college degree, all of everybody I know is um, coping with a new kind of world in which the things that we saved up for and counted on um, and kind of followed all the rules for aren't there anymore. And um, that seemed worthy material for a novel. But I couldn't just write about the moment um, because it's really not possible to understand the moment you're in when you're standing in it. Mm-hmm. So I had the idea to, to make it um, a retrospective, to find a, a family in a, another moment of history that was struggling with a new definition of how to live in the world. And then I thought I would put them in the same house and uh, have the house falling down on their heads. Mm-hmm. That sounded like a novel to me. There we go. Uh, there's so much there to dive into. Um, so what drew you to um, this time period specifically? Right after the Civil War in the U.S., um, this country was fractured every bit as, as badly as it is now. It was um, it was so polarized along very similar lines, in fact, um, north versus south, urban versus rural, industrial versus agrarian. And the more I read about the, the Civil War, sort of post-Civil War Reconstruction era, the more familiar it seemed to me. I realized that these are 
these are these are fractures that have never really healed in this country um, economically or culturally. And since I live um, in both cultures, because my home is in southwestern Virginia, in southern Appalachia, in a very rural um, agricultural part of the country, while my profession brings me frequently to places like New York and California, and on the phone, I, I speak every day with people in, um, you know, the what people call the blue coasts. Mm. I really live between these worlds, and that seemed a productive endeavor for me to try to represent some of these conversations that we're having difficulty. Um, <laughs> we're not even beginning these conversations. We're beginning them by saying, you 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 idiot, you know, you deplorable, you whatever you are, um, which is not a conversation. So I thought that would be a useful time to, to compare or contrast with our own around 1870. And I also wanted to throw Darwin into the mix because mm-hmm. just at that moment in history, Darwin published these two books that really threw... Uh, the whole world for a loop um, caused people or asked people to to consider the possibility that humans were not put on this earth to rule it, but in fact uh, were are are of are of the earth are made of the earth that we are subject to the same natural laws as everything else, all other living things, um, the laws of gravity, the laws of physics, the laws of natural selection, all apply to us. That was a hard pill for people to swallow. It still is, in fact, and so I thought that would be very productive territory as well. Mm-hmm. And it makes for a um, fascinating comparison because in the present day story, um, you talk a lot about climate change and. You know, there's, you know, with Darwinism, obviously there are people who are denying it. They don't want to face facts. And then for climate change, it's very much the same thing today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it doesn't, um, it's not, no one really speaks of it in the novel or in real life so much as they just weather it, so mm-hmm. to speak. There are several, there are several big storms that hit um, New Jersey during the, the fall and winter of this novel with devastating effects and um um yeah so you're you're watching people though it's not really you know discussed very much um you're watching people deal with the fact that they are subject to the laws of of nature of physics and um trying to carry on their lives as if everything were still the same Mm -hmm. um so in the historical story. Um, there's the character of Mary Treat, who is based off of a historical character, um, someone you researched very heavily. Um, and then there's the character of Thatcher Greenwood, who is a fictional character that that right. story sort of centers around. Um, why center it on him and not Mary Treat in the first place? Well, because I I write a novel sort of from 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 plot down, mm-hmm. I, I I figure out what I want to write about. What's the what are the big themes of my novel in terms of you know person against person, person against the self, person against nature. I mm-hmm. kind of sort this all out. What what will be? What are the big questions of this novel? Then I construct a plot um, that will 
essentially, you know, reveal or ask these questions. And then I, I have central casting. You know, I call, I call up um, the characters I need for um, to serve my plot, and they have mm-hmm. to. They have to do everything I say, or I fire them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, for my central figure um, in um, well, all all of the all of the modern characters are invented, and for the, the central, the protagonist of my 19th century story, I needed someone who had a lot uh, at stake, someone who, like uh, Willa and Yano in the current day story, had everything to lose. He's, um, he, he's the new science teacher, he's just moved here with his young bride, he um, kind of wants to do all the right things, but he's also recognizing that he um, that there are there are forces beyond him that are not going to let him tell the truth in his job. He's not going to be allowed to talk about Darwin or even about natural selection or even t- he can't even take in, take his pupils outside. His biology students are mm-hmm. instructed to stay in the classroom and read poetry um, by the principal. So I needed a character. I could invent who would do all the things, you know, would have the wife and the problems and the Mm -hmm. house that I needed him to have. However, I also wanted to anchor that story on some real figure who was involved in the Darwinian, the great Darwinian conversation on this side of the Atlantic. And it took me a while to find that person. I started with Asa Gray. I read a lot about Asa Gray. uh, who was a very well-known figure in um, 19th century uh, biology and botany. He just, he wasn't the right person. And I just, in the kind of in a marginal note, I found mention of this character or this, this person, this lady naturalist, as they were called, um, Mary Treat. And I thought, hmm, never heard of her. I wonder who she might have been. And when I went looking, I found this really interesting person and an interesting place. She lived in Vineland, so she lived. She led me to this town of Vineland, New Jersey, which was a perfect setting for my two-century story because it was. It has a crazy, interesting history of its own. It was founded as a utopian, ideal community along the, along the Victorian lines of ideal, which means that the, the poor people did all the work and the rich people got to go to, go to nice lecture series. But um, that was the idea in those days of perfect society. So um, everything just started to cook after I went to Vineland. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I loved the concept of shelter throughout the book. Though, you know, obviously uh-huh. on the surface you have the houses that are crumbling in both Stories, but then there's also this sort of flip side where um, shelter is, in a sense, being you're sheltered from truth, and then being unsheltered yeah, exposes you. Yeah, living a sheltered life, I'm mm-hmm. not taking risks. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so that was um. So what, like, how did that help you kind of sort of tie together all these questions using this idea of shelter? Well, the. the my 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 tools ultimately are words i you know i i begin with theme but i live in the world of language as a mm-hmm. literary novelist you know 98% of my work is the business of of 
revising sentences and making them <laughs> making them glow, you know, <laughs> throwing out the ordinary and inventing new kinds of language and finding just the right word. And it took me a while. I, you know, I always knew I was writing about what I think of as paradigm shift or crisis or those moments when the things that we have always believed no longer seem true, which are sort of our our psychic shelter from mm-hmm. from 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 being unmoored, from being you know completely disoriented in the universe. So when I found the title Unsheltered, I I rejoiced because that that's the word, the word and the unword that really um, pulls it all together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of, um, so, you know, you make the comparisons between the past and the present, um, using the past to talk about the present. Um, mm-hmm. are you, cause it seems like, you know, part of what you were saying is, you know, it feels like we're in very bleak times where sort of the rules don't apply. Um, in writing this, did you, do you offer hope? Do you offer caution? What do you, what do you hope to offer the reader? Well, I hope to offer the reader 10 hours of pleasure (laughs) (laughs) which you certainly did even though all of these characters are in pretty dire straits they're also funny and and touching and you know you have a mother and daughter who are kind of falling apart and find a way to to pull themselves together so and it it actually happens with various members of 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 both families people coming apart and coming together there's a very happy marriage in this story one mm-hmm. um which which is not something you ever get to write about i mean to read about what when's the last time you read a novel about a happy marriage um <laughs> never right so i it's blank material but i work hard to give people a good read mm-hmm. they may take from it what they will, whatever they need. And I think every reader brings, you know, a different set of kind of nutritional requirements to a book. So um, so whatever you're looking for in the story, I hope I hope you'll find it. I I tend to um, I myself believe there's there's always something after the 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 um epigraph of this novel is from a Wallace Stevens poem on the first page. Um, it's I it's I quoted these two lines. After the final no, there comes a yes. And on that yes the future world depends. That's what I think. But it's up to the reader to find to that yes, uh, wherever it is in the pages and wherever it is in your life. Mm-hmm. So research aside, because obviously you did a lot of research for this book, um, but aside from that, did. what um what did you learn in writing this novel, I guess, on a philosophical level? Did this answer questions for you? Um, well, it answered obscure questions like what people in the 19th century sat down to dinner, what did they eat? <laughs> <laughs> and who made it? You know, all <laughs> kinds of things like that that you have to find out mm-hmm. when you're writing a historical novel. Um, I learned a lot more about um, the the... The, the response to Darwin on the American side, I guess I've, I've read a lot about that century, but more from the British side, I was amazed that Darwin really upset the apple cart. People really hated the guy. Mm-hmm. Emily Dickinson hated Darwin, um, and which is really saying a lot. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't hate too many people. So... Um, 
You know, and poor Darwin, I just thought a lot about, you know, because being uh, being a public person, even even in the sort of the ant-sized fame that a, a novelist has, we, you know, we have to deal with criticism. We have to deal with people who don't really even know who we are or what we're about or what we've ever written, but they still want to hate us online. You know, and, and, and that's that's really miserable. Um, people feeling like just because they know your name, they can take a, a shot at you. Um, that's really, that's the part of my job that I wish, you know, that makes me wish I had just started using a pseudonym in the beginning. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> knew who I was. But Darwin was so, so hated. And he he had no idea what he was starting. When he, mm-hmm. when he after he had spent 30 years really carefully observing the world and pulling together his observations in this very simple, elegantly straightforward way, and he was so excited to say, look, look what I figured out. There's this unifying theory that explains everything so beautifully. Bless his heart. He just thought he was giving the world, you know, just the best Christmas gift, and instead it blew up in his face. He, he, um, he, he, you know, he went to his grave being, being well. He was he was greatly admired by scientists, you know, of his time, uh, by many of his colleagues, but there were so many people who just went around the world, making a name for themselves by Darwin bashing. I guess it gave me the strength, well, let's say, to go on book tour. Um, <laughs> it gave me the strength to to understand that you're not always understood in your own time, and telling the truth um, can be a scary business, um, but you have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so, Barbara, we just have one more question for you, and this is a question okay. that we ask all of the guests on the podcast. <clears throat> Since this is um, our primary audience here, our teachers, who was your favorite okay. teacher? My favorite teacher, wow. Well, there isn't one, but one comes to mind. I didn't take very many writing classes in my, in my, in my educational career. I, I took, I took um, undergraduate and graduate degrees in biology, but I had one English teacher, freshman comp in college. Um, And of course I loved that class and I would have taken many, many more English and writing classes had I had the option as a science major to do that, but I didn't. But I remained friends with that teacher for years, Thomas Emery, Dr. Emery. And he saw that I was a writer, even though I was, you know, I thought I was a, a scientist, a biologist. And he advised me one time, do what makes you happy, and you will be tempted to teach others, you know, because that's a secure career. But make sure if you're teaching, you're teaching what you really care about the most. Well, that's great. Um, well, Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. This has been terrific to chat about the book with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.